The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. This week we're going to introduce to you our next sermon series. It's going to be called Roots, and what we're going to do is explore the core values of Love City Church. Uh, Turn with me if you have a Bible to Colossians 2. Verse 6. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take several weeks and we're going to examine uh, what we refer to as our core values. Uh, these are the things that make us tick. These are the things that we emphasize. Uh, all that we do as it pertains to our mission and ministry is influenced by these core values. Uh, as with our vision and mission, uh, we endeavor to stick close to what uh, King Jesus makes clear is important through the scriptures. That's how these core values were shaped. So let's read uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse uh, 6 through 10 together, and uh, we'll go on from there, spend time in God's word, okay? Here we are, verse 6, chapter 2, book of Colossians. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted... And now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. These values for us, they're a big part of our root system. Now the roots on any plant, they draw up nutrients from the ground, but another thing that they do is they're, they're the way that that plant is stabilized. It's the way that that plant is anchored to the ground, uh, and it's what keeps it from being knocked over by whatever wind or storm may come along. Uh, and we see that We see the warning about not being taken captive by philosophy and empty deception or the tradition of men. This is not a warning only for the Christians at Colossae, but a warning for all of us because it's a prevalent human tendency to fall prey to, to get pulled away by philosophy and and empty deceit and get pulled away by distractions and deceptions. And so Paul's warning us here about that. And and the reality is, I don't know how much you pay attention, but there's, there's... enough crazy stuff out there that it's, it's honestly like a theological minefield trying to navigate through and discover what really is the truth. Um, I mean, we have folks out there now that they refuse to talk about sin. They deny that there's a hell. Um, there's those that won't say clearly that Jesus uh, is the only way to have eternal life, and, and they'll still claim to be his followers. This, this stuff sows confusion. This is not what the Word teaches. The only reason we have any, any way whatsoever of knowing who God is, what he thinks, or what he expects of us is this Word right here. This Bible is the inspired and authoritative Word of God. And when people want to try to stray away from that and they want to inject into it their opinions and their high thoughts and their philosophies, what they end up doing is stripping the Bible of its power to change men and women. Yes, oftentimes the Bible will disagree with what you think. That's good. You should just then agree with the Bible. It wins, you lose. It's stood a lot longer than you have. Amen? I'm sure you're thrilled about that. I actually am. I know I need it. 
I don't overassume my own intelligence. I realize I'm lacking in much uh, and that God's much smarter than me. And so I receive his rebuke, his correction, and encouragement whenever I can get it. Uh, there's all kinds of examples of guys rising up saying that they're the Messiah, that they're the second coming of Christ. I mean, I could name a bunch of names for you. Um, short trip to the internet would reveal all of that. Uh, and these, these guys, they want you to drink some special Kool-Aid, uh, you know, after they empty your pockets and empty your bank account, um, you know, and everybody pledge their allegiance to them when nothing that they're saying lines up with the scriptures God gave us. Uh, there are men who become obsessed with pinpointing a day in the future that God's word tells us clearly no one will know but the Father. Uh, and then they suck people in with hype and empty deception. They get these people to pay for billboards and advertisements telling everybody that Jesus is going to return on some certain day. And then when it doesn't happen, they retreat, right? They retreat from their statement with some you know, poppycock answer like, uh, oh, you know what, guys? You know what happened? You know what happened here? Um, I didn't carry the one when I was doing my calculations. So actually, what it, it's next year. That's when Jesus is going to come back. So just... Just give it another year. My, my prophecy will come true here. Uh, and then, you know, year two comes around. It doesn't happen again, and then the guy disappears. So either the followers he fleeced buried him somewhere, or, you know, he's drinking drinks with umbrellas in it somewhere with their money. So uh, it's, it's all deception, and it's all useless. Uh, there are some that are transfixed upon outer appearance, what people do or don't wear, uh, when God makes it clear that modesty is important, but humble hearts much more so. Uh, there are countless other schemes and deceptions and philosophies and traditions that are from the enemy to distract God's people from the things we're really called to focus on. These core values are for us. They're an anchor that keep us held fast to our precious Savior and the rock of our salvation. That's what these core values do for us. They assure that we are not blown about by every deception and strange wind of doctrine. They keep us focused on what the scriptures hold high. If Jesus cares about something, I want to care about it. And he's made it plain that certain things should be emphasized. Others are less important. All of the counsel of the word of God should be considered. But honestly, uh, the other thing that these core values do is they help us not to get bored. Because just the five things that we've set aside as core values here are enough to keep God's people busy in prayer and busy walking them out. Amen? Amen. I'm going to give you these five core values. and I'm going to give you a brief description of what they mean. And we will expound upon them in the coming weeks, okay? Uh, the first core value, and it's first on purpose, because all of the other ones really flow out of it. None of the other ones would make much sense without it. This core value is that we are gospel-centered in everything, okay? Now, this means that we hold the good news of the gospel in the proper high esteem where it belongs. Our vision, uh, it's another word for our goal, right? So I use terms like vision and mission. I don't want you to get lost. When I say vision, our vision the vision for Love City Church, that's the goal. That's what we want to reach. That's what we believe God put us here to do. Our goal is for as many people as possible to meet, love, and worship Jesus. That's our goal. As many people as possible, we want to introduce them to King Jesus. Because we believe, we are totally convinced that that is where their joy is going to be found. In relationship with the God that made them. That's where their purpose is going to be found. That's where peace is. All the things people are searching for everywhere else. It's found in God, and the only way to him is through the sacrifice of King Jesus. So we want to introduce people to Jesus. That's our vision. Uh, and this happens through believing the good news of the gospel. That's how that whole transaction occurs. Now, our mission, okay, so that was the vision. That's our goal. Our mission, how we accomplish the goal, right? So the vision is like, that's what I want you to do. The mission is, here's how I want you to do it, uh, is to love God, love people, and make disciples, 
And this is only possible through the power of the gospel. The gospel has the power to set people free from sin and death and to equip and excite God's people for being a part of, the, of that glorious eternal work. So the, the gospel is so woven throughout all it is that we do and all that is that we're about, it's, it's really inseparable and it'll, it'll come up so often that uh, it, it may, may seem exhaustive, but it's on purpose because it's very easy. It's very easy. I see it happen all the time. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Churches that should be about Jesus and his business of reconciling broken, lost, dying people to himself, they get confused and they get distracted and they get focused on other things. It's not wrong to do other things, but we got to put first things first. The gospel is first for the Christian. The message that you don't have to be hopeless, that you don't have to be lost, that you don't have to spend eternity separated from God. This is our great message. This is the great gift we have to give. Amen? You excited about the gospel? You have to be. To be a Christian, the gospel should excite something in you. It should stir something in you. To know that there's a truth that sets people free from bondage. That excites me. It excites me that God would let a guy like me share something like that with somebody that doesn't know it. I know I'm unworthy to carry a light that bright and a jewel that beautiful. I shouldn't be trusted with it. I'm not good enough in and of myself. But Jesus came and he gave me his righteousness. He traded me all my filthiness for his goodness. And then he let me come be a part of his mission. Man, are you kidding me? That's the best deal going. And I'm thankful. Our second core value is that we believe we're called to redefine love to the culture. Uh, and we've touched on this a lot in our first John series. If you've been here for that, uh, John in his epistle, uh, it, it, he's very focused on uh, God being love and, and defining love well for us. And so we've talked about that a lot. Um, we'll probably just touch it briefly during this series because we've been uh, talking about it so much. If, if you want to kind of a full dealing with that subject. There uh, is a sermon online at, at mylovecitychurch.com called The Truth About Love. There's also one called uh, God is Love. Both of those will deal extensively with that subject if you're curious about our position on it. Um, but we have to... See, here, here, just the basics of that is that our God, who is love and is its very source, he gets to define love, not us. And, and most people, they reverse that. They, they hear that God is love, and so they take their definition of what love is, and, and only God knows where that comes from, right? All the cultural influence that tells us what love is, most of the time it's got something to do with romance and a fuzzy feeling. You know, there may be some type of sexual attraction mixed in there. Love is so much farther and deeper and wider and better and more beautiful than that. I, I, I could just keep throwing adjectives at it and not quite touch the depth of how much different love is than what most of us think it is. And then we take that ill-advised definition, we try to project it upon God because we see that the, the word says that God is love and that won't work. We have to reverse that flow of influence. God who is love defines it for us from his word and then we have to bring that and submit our grid of thinking to what it is he's said. And 1 John 3.16 is very, very clear. It says, by this we know love. Here you go, Christian. Here's how you're going to know what love is. He laid his life down for us. It points us straight to Jesus and his cross. The only chance a fallen, broken human has to understand the love of God, the deep and beautiful love of God, is to look at the cross of Christ. What's going on there? Selflessness and sacrifice at a depth that no one will ever see again. And never, never other than that will be seen in history. Jesus dying on the cross for a bunch of people that didn't care, a bunch of people that were his enemies. Forgiving a bunch of people before they even asked to be forgiven. 
spilling his perfect, precious blood so that we could be saved. That's love. That's what we're called to. I'm called not only to love you and my wife and my children, I'm called to love my enemies, just like Jesus did. I told you these core values, you keep you busy. <laughs> I got a lot of praying to do. Sometimes I have a hard time loving you. <laughs> the way Jesus has loved me, right? I could say, oh, I got a general sense of affection positively towards you all the time. Yes, you're all wonderful. But every day do I wake up willing to lay down my life for you. I should. That's the call of Christ. I should think about my family that way every day. doesn't matter what I want, what I think. i got to prefer them. Amen? Amen. We have to both speak about and live out love boldly to the culture around us. This will lead to curiosity and it will open doors to talk about Jesus. Our third core value is that we believe there's strength in diversity. Human nature is to huddle with people that are most similar to you uh, so that you can feel comfortable and affirmed. That is human nature. You got to just know that about yourself. You'll be more, your tendency will be to gather with, hang out with, associate with people that are most like you, that think like you, that look like you, that have the same interests as you. And that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as that's not the only thing. And you're not aware that uh, diversity creates strength. Um, Doing the opposite, just gathering with people that are just like you, that leads to weakness. Because you do not enjoy the benefit of complementary giftings and strengths and experiences. Uh, we identify here at Love City three areas of diversity that we want to work towards, right? And so this is something we ask God by his grace to help us, that by his Holy, Holy Spirit he would infuse into this place diversity on three levels so that we can uh, be better for it. Uh, these three areas... Um, we, we hope by God's grace to be racially diverse, because that makes us stronger, to be multi-generational, because that makes us stronger, and to be socioeconomically diverse, because that makes us stronger. Amen? Amen? You believe that? If you don't believe that, come for the sermon on strength and diversity, and I'll get you there. I'll take you through the Bible, and I'll show you, you're better for being around people different than you. You will be. It'll sharpen you. Make you think better. Make you stronger. Uh, the fourth core value is um, we want to work towards all of us exhibiting humility the same way that Christ did. So we want to be characterized at Love City Church. When people talk about us as a group, we want to be connected to and known for humility as exemplified by Christ. There's never in all of history been a better example of humility than Jesus dying for his enemies. Pride is the mother of every other sin, and it is the poison that courses through the heart of every man and every woman. Its antidote is humility. Humility is not about being down on yourself. It's about making more of others and much of King Jesus. Do you catch that? A lot of times when we think about humility, we think about saying a bunch of bad stuff about us to you know, kind of put ourselves down and knock ourselves off our own pedestal, that's not so much the point. That will automatically happen the more you think of others and the more you think of King Jesus. The book of Philippians tells us that Jesus, the way he thought, and this is unbelievable, I, I can't, I'm not sure I can really grasp how he did this. Jesus considered me and you more important than him. That's how he went to the cross. 
That he had to consider us of higher value than himself to sacrifice himself in our place for our sins. Now, how does Jesus, perfect, sinless, wonderful Jesus, heals everybody, feeds everybody, Savior King, I am before Abraham, how does that guy think he's less important than me? I'm wretched and good for nothing aside from him anyways. Somehow, that's the mind and see, sometimes, <laughs> I remember, um, I've heard people say, you'll tell their kids like they're about to have a test, and they'll say, you've got the mind of Christ, you can pass that test. Um, listen, I believe Jesus will help you with your test, but that's, that's the wrong verse. The mind of Christ is talking about there is that mind I just described to you. The mind of Christ described in those scriptures is the mentality he had of, of just unbelievable humility. That somehow he considered us, imperfect sinners, more important than himself. And that that was a a part of how the whole transaction happened at the cross. I'm not more important than King Jesus, ruler of the universe. Are you? But that's how he thought about it. Here's what he did. I'm just going to probably say this again when we get to this, because this is mind-blowing. If you just chew on this for a while to help your life a whole lot. Jesus, (laughs) in considering me more important than himself, he left me zero loopholes because I know I'm not him and if he, perfect, sinless, wonderful Jesus, if he considered me more important than himself, I have no right, I can never ever go and get away with considering myself more important than someone else. I can't. He, he did the most extreme example of humility possible in him, perfect him, considering me more important than he was, and so I, I have to do that to follow after him. I'm gonna need his grace to do it because honestly, there's a lot of times I think I'm more important than someone else, right? Like if I'm in a hurry, okay? I'll just confess all my sins. You can give me those holy stares from there. That's good. I'll be by myself up here. I'll be the martyr. Yeah, sometimes when I'm in a rush and you're in front of me and you're driving slow, I don't feel like you're more important than me. I feel like you should move because what I'm doing is really important. My schedule's more important. I'm an important person. You're probably just going to get some milk and, and I don't have time for you right now. That's sinful. That's not right. I shouldn't be riding that person trying to catch their eye in the rearview mirror to, you know, give them a threatening scowl. That's sinful. It's wrong. I'm not walking in humility like Jesus. I'm definitely considering myself more important than them. And that's wrong. I need to reverse that. Thank God he doesn't just give us these commands, but he promises his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit to help. If all he did was say, here's the bar, I want you to work towards this, I would just shrivel in despair (laughs) if I did not have the promise of his help. Amen? You guys could all do it yourself probably in your own strength. That's good. Okay. Uh, We'll move on then. Okay, so uh, here's the last uh, core value. So that one was humility. The last one is unity, okay? And and there's three places we want to see unity happen. Uh, And and it's the order that we have this in is on purpose because it has to happen in this order for the others to work, right? So we need unity first in the home. We need My hope is that all of us here at Love City, we are praying for unity in each other's homes. I I pray often over your home that the threshold of your door, that when you walk in, that that place would be a sanctuary of peace and of unity. I ask God for that for you. That, you know, work is crazy, school is crazy, a lot of places we go, it's hectic and stuff's going on. But when you walk in your door, my hope for you is that God's holy presence is there and that there's unity among everybody that lives in that place. 
And that doesn't mean we always agree on everything. It's not uniformity, but it means ultimately we submit to Jesus and his word. And so we're not going to care more about what my opinion is about this certain thing. Unity is more important than my opinion. And so we submit to the scriptures and we submit to the rule of Jesus. And it leads to happier homes. Amen? Amen. So we want to see unity in our homes. Uh, then we want to see unity in the local church, right? So if we don't have it first in the home, it's going to be very hard then for us to come together and have a bigger family and have unity, right? So we got to get it right in our homes first. We got to care about it there first. And then when we come together, we add more personalities and we add more people and we add more mouths and opinions. And now we got to work towards unity, right? And so I pray often for this church that our, our unity would be an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. And we're going to talk about this when we come back to it. The high priestly prayer. Jesus cared deeply that we walked in unity. A big part of it was because it leads to God's glory. He wanted us to be in unity because he knows it's going to lead to joy and happiness for us. We will be better working together than we will be fighting with each other. Do you believe that? I know, it's got, I know there's AC in here, and I know you probably ate something yummy downstairs, but just come on this journey with me. It's just a couple more minutes. I made it short on purpose, okay? We were dedicated to babies. I didn't know if I was going to be able to recover crying about my son being dedicated to the Lord, and I'm thinking about him 20 years from now, potentially preaching the gospel, so I'm all messed up emotionally anyways, okay? So I'm trying to get through this too, so just come with me. These are some of the most important things any Christian can think about. That's why they're the core values of this church. That's why they're the anchor that hold us to Christ when all this other crazy stuff's going on out here. We're going to do everything we do based on whether or not it lifts up these core values, which ultimately always are going to lift up Jesus, and he deserves that. Amen? You excited about Jesus being glorified? That's why we're talking about this. Because if his people will care about what he cares about, he'll be lifted up. Okay? Amen. All right. Good. So we, we as a church, uh, God is glorified when, when we work together, when we allow our gifts to co come together and, and be uh, compl complementary? Complementary. That's a good word. Um, I was going to add Arian onto it, complementarian, but it didn't need that. It's just complementary. So we let our gifts come together and, and complement each other. Um, we don't vie for position. We don't really care about who gets the credit. All we want to see is God's mission done when we do that. We have joy and God gets glory. Amen. And you'll hear those two things a lot out of my mouth together because they're the major things I really care about. And it's the major things we should really care about. If you've been saved by grace through faith, if you've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life, what you should care about is joy in this life by serving God and that leading to his glory. Amen. I want God to be glorified because I know how good he's been to me. I'm much less concerned with what I want than I am his glory, and I want to be more so every single day. I, I don't really care if it costs me everything, if it ends up that God's name is made famous, and one more person hears about how good Jesus is, it's really, really, really worth it. You believe that? If, if you struggle to believe that, pray and ask God to help you. If your life doesn't reflect that sentiment, it's easy to nod in here, uh, ask God to help you. Don't be condemned about it. But by his grace, we want to keep moving towards more of our life reflecting his glory, more of our life pointing to the fact that when I say I'm a Christian, that's not, you know, I don't just hold a card to a country club or I get to be a part of some social group. What I say when I say that I'm a Christian, what I, what I mean when I say I'm a disciple of Jesus is that something supernatural happened and, and a heart of stone that resided in me, a dead man was made alive and a heart of stone was turned to flesh and somebody that was worth nothing to anybody became something precious in the sight of God Almighty. Like, it's real, man. It's real. 
And, and, and it's worth more than just lip service. It's worth more than just an occasional, you know, we throw God a bone or we, you know, I show up to church and I throw a tip in the plate and I feel like I've, I've done God a favor. Man, God doesn't need me, but he loves me and he lets me be a part of what he's doing. What a great privilege. Be hard pressed to find an honor higher than that. I'll go so far as to say you won't. Uh, so we care about unity in your home. We care about unity in our church family. And we care about unity in the body of Christ as a whole. And so that's, uh, that's churches. So you've got local churches, but then you've got the body of Christ as a whole. Every Christian everywhere, every person that has been purchased uh, by the blood of Christ, that is the, that is the universal church, right? So uh, there, are, there are other churches all around us that, that love Jesus and preach the gospel and, and uh, we want to partner with them in any way possible. We want to, we want to help each other. We're not, going to, we're not in a competition with each other. Ultimately, if we can join resources and that leads to God being more glorified and that leads to more people hearing about Jesus, then at the end of the day, if churches would care less who gets the credit other than Jesus himself, we, we could get something done. And so we want to work towards that. The fact that we are meeting in this place is a beautiful testament to the fact that churches can work in unity. Different local churches, we are different than Grace United Methodists. I don't know, some of you have been to some of their services, some of you haven't. They're much more traditional than we are. Um, there's a lot of things that we do different than they do, but you know what? They believe that Jesus died on a cross and that he rose again, and they believe that telling people about that's really important. And you know what? Because they believe that, they let a, a ragtag bunch of people that are trying to be on mission for Jesus called Love City Church that was meeting in a basement over here when, when we were about to be kicked out looking for a tree large enough to sit under so we didn't get rained on, they said, come over here. We've got a facility. And uh, you, you can come share this space with us, and we'll, we'll work together. And so we did. We came in here. We've worked together to upgrade this facility. We've, uh, we're joining together on projects. We're doing stuff to try to get into the schools together, pool our influence, pool our re resources, and all that we care about is that it points to Jesus. That's right. That's how it should go. I'm not in a competition with anybody else that loves Jesus and wants much to be made of him. We're on the same team. Amen. Team Jesus, yay, right? Team Jesus wins, and I'm sticking with him. Amen. All the other teams are going to lose, all of them. Yes. Team Jesus wins in the end. Good. I'm with him. I want to win. All right? I'm a bad loser. That's why I'm with Jesus. I figured it out. I looked at all the teams. I said, he's going to win. I'm sticking with him, right? Yes. I don't like to lose. Glory. Uh, so that's it. That's our five core values. We're going to work through these in the, in, in the coming weeks. Um, the reality is, even if you're, this is not something exclusively beneficial to somebody that is, is a member or is interested in becoming a member here at Love City. These core values, as I told you, we endeavored to look at what is it that the writers of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what is it that Jesus himself emphasized uh, in, in these Scriptures and in their writings. Um, we believe that these things represent the most paramount truths of the scriptures, and so uh, these things would be beneficial for any Christian anywhere uh, to, to hear about and, and to understand better and to be excited about. And so uh, even if you're not uh, somebody that comes regularly or plans on coming regularly to Love City, you're welcome to uh, attend these services uh, and get excited about what Jesus is excited about. Amen? Uh, these core values are not something that we just pay lip service to. They, they do shape and influence and inform everything that we do. Uh, sometimes familiarity can breed indifference. I'm going to say that again because you should understand that about yourself. There is a sin of familiarity. Familiarity can breed indifference, and that's a bad thing. 
Uh, it can also breed apathy. And so it's easy, it, it can become easy to take things for granted. Um, I want to read to you a portion of a letter uh, from a guy who's out on the mission field right now. Uh, his name is Matt Wallen. Some of you know him. Uh, he's a student at NKU. And up until he left for this entire summer to go preach the gospel, uh, he's been one of the most faithful men that we've had to be a part of our outreach to the homeless downtown. Um, he's a broke college kid, and he drives his V8 truck down there every week to help us serve food and bring basic items to folks who really need it. Um, I try to sleep him money whenever I can. He always doesn't want to take it, um, but I, I honestly can't imagine what he's spent in gas in the couple years he's been serving with us. Um, doesn't care. He loves those people and he loves Jesus. Um, Matt's dad is a pastor and he's a part of that congregation. It's not far, it's about 30 minutes west of here. Um, and he also comes regularly to be a part of our gatherings here at Love City, even though he lives that far away. And he expresses, he wrote me a letter and, and he expresses some of why he does that in this letter. And uh, I just want to read this to you. I think this perspective from somebody that he's not a member at Love City, he doesn't intend on becoming a member, he's just encouraged by this congregation, and um, he, he's around us as much as he can be, and he's going to say why here a little bit. And I just want you to hear this. For some of you, I'm hoping this will blow the dust off and maybe break the ice of maybe indifference and apathy that might have settled in through familiarity. You need to understand that... Um, much of what we do, if not all, is intentionally thought through, and there's a reason for it. And it may seem like, oh, man, you're doing the same thing every week, but these things, they have a purpose. And so uh, I'm going to read this letter to you. This is a portion, the last portion. He wrote me a very long letter, gave me lots of details about the ministry they've been doing, and it was, uh, it was really cool, but I'll pick it up here. It says, um, <clears throat> I must say, Vince, that while I have enjoyed my time down here, I find that my heart often wanders back to Cincinnati on Wednesday and Sunday evenings. I've been in prayer for you, Love City, and the homeless outreach. Being down here has made me truly appreciate the ministry that is being done through Love City, and I'm so blessed to know such an amazing group of believers. I cannot express to you how much I appreciate the fact that the church tries desperately to do things the way that is most glorifying to God and scripturally sound. I love that the gospel is outlined every week, for there are so many that have never heard, and it is a reminder that must always be fresh on our lips. I love that communion is taken every week, and that it is clarified that it's only for believers, as it is a refreshing symbol of the love and work of Christ's sacrifice and his relationship with his children. I love the fact that Love City does community groups and active outreach into the community, because real relationships being influenced by the gospel are crucial to foster for the furtherance of the kingdom. I love the fact that membership is taken seriously and that you must know why you believe what you believe before you may join. I love that the church has all walks of life present, united by a love for Jesus, and that those who are seeking can see Christ's love at Love City by the way that the members of the church treat each other. Love City is a special place, Vince, because the aim of the church is that God is glorified in everything that it does. Please guard this so carefully, as it is really precious. I'm thankful that I've been able to observe this, and I'm inspired to love deeper because of it. I'm often excited by Love City's example, and have been encouraged by it in my ministry with my own congregation. If there's anything in specific I can be in prayer about, please let me know. I know how desperately they are needed here. I desire 
to do the same thing for you. I'll just say quickly, uh, after I got this letter, I talked to Matt. Um, he broke his collarbone in an accident, and um, he's supposed to ship out to the Dominican Republic in a couple days, and I, I'm pretty sure he, medically, I think they told him it's probably not a good idea, but um, he doesn't care. He's going to go to the Dominican Republic and talk about Jesus with a broken collarbone. So just pray for him if you would. Um, I asked him about resources, made sure he's doing okay. There he is. Um, so those of you that know him, that's an update. Uh, from this, I just I want to point some things out. You see, it really does matter. It really does matter what you emphasize. It really does matter that first things be put first. And it really matters that you have a clear vision and a clear mission and that you call people to it continually. It really matters that your motives be purely focused on God's glory and the good of others. It really does matter that the ordinances of baptism and communion be done regularly and rightly. And it really, really, really matters that the beautiful, magnificent, and powerful gospel, that great and precious jewel of our faith, that it be held high for all to see. It matters. It matters a lot. And I want to, I'm going to just ask you to please allow me to hold it up for you now. And if You've not gazed upon the beauty of the gospel before. I beg you to just hold your gaze there and never look away. If you have, then let us rejoice again in its unrivaled awesomeness. The gospel, very plainly, it's the good news about Jesus. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And um, the good news about Jesus doesn't make a lot of sense unless we take the time to explain the bad news about us. The good news is about Jesus. The bad news is about us. You see, God created us originally perfect and without sin. God is holy and God is perfect, and uh, we had the option to obey him or not, and we didn't. And so here's the deal. God is holy, God is perfect, and what is required to be in relationship with that God is perfection and holiness. That is extremely bad news for anybody that is even an ounce self-aware. Right? You perfect? Did you pull perfection off today? The last hour? No. Not typically. None of us is perfect. Therefore, all of us is under that bar of, of what is required to be in relationship with God, either in this life or for eternity. That's terrible and devastating and, and heart-crushing news. That's why the good news is so beautiful. That's why the good news is held in the esteem that it is, because the good news is about Jesus. It's about fixing that problem, that problem that I can't fix myself. That's why Jesus came. That's why he had to live perfect, because we didn't, but he did. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived a perfect life. And then God saw fit to let him step in our place, let him die in our place, let him take the punishment that we deserved, and somehow God counts justice and judgment rendered by Jesus doing that in our place, dying in our place for our sins. I still don't see how that math adds up, that he's perfect, he does nothing wrong, he has no transgression to him, and yet he gets to be sacrificed, and I get to, I get to claim that righteousness for myself, and I get to, by faith, hold on to his gift, and I get to be saved by that kind of grace and mercy. Nothing else in life works like that. I think that's why we struggle with it. I think that's why we constantly try to take and add things to the gospel. We constantly try to say, well, yeah, I know Jesus died for me, but I'm sure I have to be at least this much good, right? I got to at least hit this level. And 
I just got to say to you again, I need you to hear this. The only reason, the only reason you have any way of understanding what God thinks about you or any of what this salvation plan has to offer is through these scriptures. And these scriptures give us zero picture of your salvation being based on how good or bad you are. It has everything to do with whether you will trust by faith that Jesus' finished work on the cross is enough to redeem you. Is enough to break the shackles of sin, to set you free from the evil taskmaster of Satan and death and the grave. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, but here's what we believe. That three days later he rose, that he proved, see, Jesus walked around and said a lot of stuff. He, he said he was God. He likened himself to God. He said, I am. I was there before Abraham. He said stuff that riled people up. That's why they killed him. There's people that are trying to say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. You're a fool. Those were the accusations against him. That's what got him nailed to the tree. They weren't happy about somebody saying, I'm God. Then he proved that what he said was true. Because death couldn't hold him. And he rose from the grave. Vindicated and victorious. And it says that many people saw him alive. He ate some fish, let people touch him. so they could, Nobody could say, oh, it was just his spirit that rose. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He set the precedent and sent our hope. We trust that we're going to follow after him. This is the gospel. And I, I just, I beg of you today. I beg of you today. I don't know what all would be the mental barriers that would stand between you and trusting Jesus. But please, please, don't let those stay there. God loves you. The, the story of the prodigal son, it tells us that. It teaches us that, that God's not angry waiting for you to come and, and be contrite enough and come and prove that you're sorry enough and come and work off all the sin that you've committed and come clean yourself up. The prodigal son shows us that God is waiting anxiously for your return, that he loves you and he desires you and he'll receive you. He's not going to leave you like you are. I know that there's all kinds of stuff you feel like you'd have to fix if you were really to surrender your life to Jesus. Yes and amen. But you don't have to do that alone. You don't have to clean yourself up first and come present yourself to God. My babies, God calls himself a perfect father. My children, if they sin or they fall or they fail, they don't, they don't have to go and do some kind of salvific work to clean themselves up to prove they can come to me and have a conversation about wanting to do better. Come. Come on. I, I want to hear that you're struggling, and, and I want to help any way I can. And God is a better dad than I could ever even possibly imagine to be. Don't stay away from him. Not one more minute. I, I'm, I'm welcoming you today to trust Jesus by faith. And you can do that right where you're at. Here, I, I had this conversation with somebody just yesterday. They, they, they struggle with feeling like they... They, uh, they had to do the sign of the cross every time they, they prayed, and then they struggled to understand. I, he, this guy was telling me over and over again, I, I, just, I don't know how to pray. And I said, brother, my kids do not have to do the sign of the cross and come to me and say some certain five sentences before they can speak to me. My kids are welcome to come jump up on my lap at any time and say, Daddy, I need this or I want this. And sometimes I'm going to tell them yes, sometimes I'm going to tell them no, and sometimes I'm going to tell them wait. Interestingly enough, those are the three answers you'll get from God. And whichever answer he gives you, it's for your good because he loves you. He really loves you. He loves you more than anybody. He proved that. That's what the cross is about. I need proof that God loves me. Look at the cross, dear one. And hold back from him no longer. Love him in the way that he's loved you. You can do that right where you're at. You can speak to God right where you're at. You don't need to come up here. Nobody needs to lay their hands on you. You can speak to God right where you are. You can declare that you know you're imperfect, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You can ask Him to come and to 
be Lord of your life, to change your heart, and, uh, and he'll do that. All you need to ask, all you need to do is ask in faith, and he'll come. He'll come right where you are. He'll meet you where you're at. It's a beautiful, other beautiful thing about the story of the prodigal son. Men in that day did not run. It was not socially acceptable. It was, they always kind of, they walked with a, a regality to their gait. And so, but this father, he sees his son from afar off. And the Bible tells us, man, he didn't, he didn't even wait for him to get there. Took off running towards him. God's going to come and meet you right where you're at if you just trust him. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you for today. Uh, thank you for your word. Without your word, we, we would be just hopeless and adrift in our own thoughts and emotions and our sin. But because of your word, we know. We know this beautiful gospel. We know the truth. We know, Lord, that uh, there is hope because of you. And so we're grateful for your word today. I pray for every single person within the sound of my voice, God, that they would, that they would just open up their heart, that they would not hide behind uh, facade, whether it be intellectual or emotional, that they would not uh, hide from you thinking that they're the exception to your grace, that they're too far gone to be reached. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, that, that your grace is not taxed by even the most wicked of sinner. Thank you, Lord. I, I thank you, Lord God, that we have begun here a trend of gospel legacy, that we have people who are serving you and loving you and obeying you and are teaching their children to do the same. And I just thank you, Lord God, that if you do decide to hold off and, and you do not return before this could happen, that our children and their children will serve you and that our children will, will teach their children when they sit and when they stand and when they rise and when they go to sleep and every moment they possibly can, that they will point them to you and they will teach them your word. God, help us to do better. Every one of us that are parents, help us, God, to see opportunities better, to not be so distracted with the pace of life, but help us to understand the greatest mission we'll ever have is to raise our babies, to teach our kids to love you, and to model an example, obedience, and love for you to them. We need your help in this, Lord, because we are prone to get sidetracked and distracted to think to think anything else is more important than the job you gave us in, in stewarding your kids. God, it's, it's not right. Help correct our thinking in that. Please don't let us get wrapped up in the things that distract us from what's most important. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And uh, we receive communion now, Lord, as a celebration of your finished work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.